Uh, this Wednesday night will be in Matthew chapter 26, and we pull our text on these Sunday mornings from our upcoming study. So why don't you turn with me to Matthew 26. This building in my picture, the watermark picture, whatever here is um, a building. It's a church there in a town called Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. Um, uh, and that's where this story takes place uh, in our text here. And it's interesting in, in that Bethany, I've been there uh, a few times myself. Um, it's a pretty little village, and it's, it's, it's separate uh, from uh, the hubbub of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a bustling city uh, in those days. It sure is today. Jerusalem's a crazy city today. If you ever wanna have a fun experience driving a vehicle, drive in Jerusalem. That's an experience right there. Um, but you know what's funny is, is you, you go out of Jerusalem down the Kidron Valley over the Mount of Olives, and on the other side of the Mount of Olives, there's a little village called Bethany. And it's quiet, and it's just a little quiet place. It's like just going over the Mount of Olives, there's a, a point of separation. And it makes sense why Jesus would never spend the night in Jerusalem. He'd always go into Jerusalem, speak on the Temple Mount, or teach, or you know, heal, or do what he did. But then he would go back over the mountain into Bethany uh, to spend the, the evening there with his friends. And that's kind of what this story does as we kind of look at what's going on here. Um, and you know, one of the things that this story is gonna cause us to do is to, to calm down, to quiet down, to chill out. But not just any old chill out or quiet down. There's actually an objective and something that we should do. I, I, I do wonder, you know, as we uh, had the little snowfall uh, just the last few days, um, it's always interesting to watch people drive around in this. Uh, and I forget, I, I, I've had four-wheel drives for the last, you know, decade or so. And I, it, when you're in a, a four-wheel drive, it really, uh, it's like cheating a little bit. And I think sometimes the four-wheel drive people get a little overconfident uh, too, and they end up sliding off the road as well. But, but um, the difference is amazing, uh, you know. And, and, but you see some of these poor two-wheel drives just, trying to get out going from a stop sign, you know? And I was thinking about that the other day. How many of us, you know, spin our wheels but really end up going nowhere? Uh, I think that a lot of us are busy, 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 shockingly busy. Um, but I think we need to beware of the barrenness of the busy life. Just because your life is busy doesn't mean it's full and fruitful and blessed. What is it that really allows for a person to have a fruitful, blessed life? Um, I don't think it's just you know, packing as much as you can into your life. Um, it's not about quantity as much as perhaps quality. And, uh, and I think that that's an important thing, not to try to do everything, but maybe doing some things well. In fact, in your own life personally, that's true. Uh, find out what you're good at, do that. Uh, that's helpful. But I've noticed even within corporate, corporately as a church, uh, churches tend to make that mistake where we try to do too much. One of the hardest things I've faced as a, a senior pastor and our governing elder team here at Atheist, we're asked uh, uh, tons of times every week, we're asked, you need to get this program. You need to add that group. You need to do this and that. You need to go and launch and start and begin new ministries and uh, fundraise and blah, blah, blah. And um, that's something that we fought against at Athe for a long, long time. Uh, almost every day I have to say, no, <laughs> we're not gonna do that. And, and it's not because it's not necessarily a good idea um, I think that one of the things we at Athey Creek have tried to do is say, we kind of need to know what our limitations are and maybe what the Lord's called us to do specifically and to, to try to do that as, as well as we know how. Um, but as it turns out, we don't have 75 programs to meet your family's needs. 
Um, I remember getting a thing on my door, the front door of our house, like one of those little um, things that hang over the doorknob. This is a few years back, but um, whereas it was a church trying to get people to come to their church. It said, we have 75 programs to meet your family's needs. And I remember thinking about thinking, oh man, I have a headache. Where's the Advil? Just thinking about that made me kind of go, wow, uh, that, that's tough. Um, but I think sometimes we try to pack too much in and we end up not really doing a great job at some of the things that we really should be doing. And so we think that busyness means quality, but it really doesn't. Sometimes the thing the Lord would have us to do is to be still, to calm down, and maybe to do some things that actually matter more than just looking busy or acting busy or what have you. Um, So what do we need more of? What do we need less of? I think this story is just a good checkpoint here in the Gospels, uh, we, we love this story. It's mentioned in a couple places, uh, in John chapter 12, but also, also right here in Matthew chapter 26. Let's read it. It's Matthew 26, starting in verse six. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when the disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might've been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For you have the poor always with you, but me you have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for memorial of her. And here we are at Athey Creek fulfilling Jesus's prophecy, talking about this woman who poured this costly ointment, perfume, oil, over Jesus and we're reading about it 2,000 years later all over the world on the other side of the earth. Like I love being a fulfillment of Jesus's prophecy. That's what we're doing right now. Uh, But all that to say, why does Jesus say everybody will talk about this woman? Wherever the gospel is preached, you're gonna hear also about this woman. And I love this. Uh, By the way, some of the women of this gospel narrative are just, they're just so impressive to me. I love the, the women in the stories here. Um, I kind of feel like in the gospel narrative, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it seems to me like the women are always kind of one step ahead of most of the men. Have you guys noticed that? It's like amazing. Like this, how is this woman ahead of the man? Um, Brett, that's it. Can you even say that? Oh, I just did. And I enjoyed it. (laughs) um, Did you notice Jesus said to them, you know, we're going to get more into this, but he, he, he says, here's why she did this. She did this anointing me for my burial. Did the disciples have any clue what was going on with his burial? Um, In fact, the disciples were struggling with just the idea of him dying. So far as we've been reading the gospel narrative, the disciples, remember Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm gonna hang on a cross and die. I will rise up on the third day. Like how much more specific can you be? But the disciples were like, anyway, uh, which one of us are the greatest? Like, like they, they'd change the subject. Or, or um, minimally, Peter, when Jesus said that to Peter in you know, Matthew 16, Peter said, not so, Lord. Like, no way are you gonna do that. Oh, yes way. Jesus has to die on the cross or else all of us go to hell. 
So Peter didn't know what he was saying. The disciples were confused, but there's this quiet woman sitting at the feet of Jesus, wiping his, his feet with her hair after dumping this costly ointment. And everybody's criticizing, what a waste. The disciples are criticizing her, but Jesus says, this woman has done this, anointing me for my burial. She's so burial. She's so far ahead of the disciples at this point. And it seems like the women are that way. Even after the resurrection, who, who were the first ones at the tomb? Um, it was the disciples sitting around and the women came and said, Peter, uh, Jesus rose from the grave. Oh, we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, but it was the women who had that sensitivity to know what was actually really going on. I love that. Um, guys, I think we have to learn a lesson here uh, from this, this, this great woman of Matthew chapter 26. Who is this woman? Well, her name is Mary. Now, some of you might say, okay, but if you know your Bible, there's actually several Marys. Which Mary is she? Well, there's six Marys in the New Testament that are specific. The first Mary is probably the most famous one, the mother of Jesus. Um, that, that's, she gets the most press in the story, uh, obviously, because she was an amazing woman who was the mother of Jesus. The second most popular, perhaps, uh, Mary is Mary Magdalene. Um, and um, she was a woman who was delivered from horrible evil. She was living in an evil, horrible life, uh, and there was darkness, and Jesus came and delivered her. And, and there's this, this Mary is very endearing. We all love Mary Magdalene. Um, there's some more obscure Marys, uh, by the way, as it turns out. One Mary uh, is Mary of Rome. Uh, she might be the most obscure of all the Marys. Romans chapter 16 talks about a, a woman named Mary that was from Rome. Um, you maybe know uh, Mary who was the uh, mother of John Mark. Uh, John Mark's in the, the uh, early church story with Paul the apostle, but he also, John Mark is perhaps most famous really for uh, writing the gospel of Mark. Um, and his mother, uh, his, uh, the name of John Mark's mother was Mary. There was uh, another lady, um, Mary, the mother of James the Lesser. Um, and also James's brother was Joseph. If you remember James and Joseph of Matthew 27, 56, that's another Mary of the Bible. So um, that's the first five. Um, but the sixth Mary is the Mary that we call Mary of Bethany. Um, otherwise, she's also known as Mary, uh, and she was a dynamic duo, just like Batman and Robin. You had Mary and, yes, I heard some of you say it, Martha. Uh, Mary and Martha often go as a tag team. In fact, you might even call the three musketeers, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. I really like these three people, and, and they get a unique delineation in the Bible. Um, they're not just called disciples. Uh, isn't it funny that Lazarus wasn't one of the disciples? or it wasn't called that at least, but what was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, what were they mostly known for? Yes, they were, they were Jesus's friends. Um, would it be fun to have Jesus as your friend? I say that and you guys are thinking, well, I think he is. Yeah, isn't that great? You and I have Jesus as a friend. I no longer call you servants, I call you my friends. I love that about our savior, Jesus. But in the biblical gospel narrative, everybody else were disciples or followers, but it was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus who were called Jesus's friends. And some even argue that Lazarus was like one of Jesus's best buddies, Lazarus. Um, he had a, a bro, bro uh, kind of going on, like a, a loving brotherly love kind of going on with, with Lazarus. That he, he liked Lazarus. So you gotta like these people. And they lived in a little town called Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. 
But all that to say, you know, we see this story and we, and, and, and we see that, um, you know, Mary, she does this act. But I wanna show you something about Mary of Bethany that I think is most unique. Not only is she a friend of Jesus along with Martha and Lazarus, but Mary gets something that we don't see of anybody else in the Bible. She might be most famous for one thing. Uh, if you're a Bible student, you might know what it is. Anybody wanna take a guess? What do we always see Mary of Bethany doing? Anybody? She's always sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's really something. Uh, what, what, what's good about sitting at the feet of Jesus? Well, as it turns out, um, there's a lot of good that comes from that. And there's a lot of people that will criticize her for that. What a waste of time. Come on, get off your duff and do something. Do something of value, busy, you know, shockingly busy. That's what you should be. But Mary was there just sitting at the feet of Jesus, even when people criticized her. Um, what was good about that? Well, Jesus will commend her and bless her. And I want, I'd like to show you that. In fact, before we finish up with Matthew 26, I'd like to show you three places in the Bible where we see Mary of Bethany at the feet of Jesus, because each one of those, we learn little lessons from this wonderful woman of the New Testament. The first one, would you turn over to Luke chapter 10, and we'll see where Mary of Bethany first is seen, seated at the feet of Jesus. It's Luke chapter 10, um, uh, starting in verse 38. Luke 10, 38. It says, now it came to pass as they went, that he, Jesus, entered into a certain village. A certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful. Better translation is the word anxious. Thou art anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You kind of feel for Martha. In fact, I, I bet half of this congregation is a Martha and half this congregation is a Mary. Uh, we're wired differently. The church, I love that the church has different kinds of people in the church and that's great. But one of the things we need to do is learn from the people that are not like us. Um, and you know, Martha's obviously one of those doers. Are you a doer? Um, you know, and, and do you see uh, more the spiritual stuff as sort of a waste of time? Like there's some, I'm sure there's people in this room that you'd rather be out motivating people to get going. Let's go, let's serve Jesus. We gotta, you know, bring in the kingdom of God. There's, there's whole churches that are circled around, do, do, do. We gotta be busy. We're going to launch new ministries. We're going to start this and do this and have 75 programs to meet your family's needs. And we're gonna be busy, 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 busy. And some of, some of you are kind of wired that way. And, and to sit around and worship, what a waste of time. We should be doing stuff for the kingdom, not just praying. Um, there's some people that are wired that way. And then there's others that are more wired like Mary, um, who's just there sitting at the feet of Jesus. Notice what our text says here in Luke, uh, you know, in Luke 10, it says that she's um, sitting at his feet there in verse 39 
and hearing his word. Um, what was his word? Jesus was speaking and she'd hear, you know, Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, John chapter one, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was the embodiment of the word. And there's Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing his word. And it's because of this, Martha looks at her and goes, what a waste of time. You should be helping me clean dishes, cooking, you know, get in the house. we've got Jesus in our house. We need to clean things up. And, and so, Really, I find it funny that Martha has the chutzpah to, to, to call her out in front of Jesus. Like, come on, Jesus, tell her what to do. Tell her what the right thing is. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha. Why did he say her name twice? <laughs> because Martha's, Martha's way off here. Uh, Jesus is being nice to Martha. He didn't just say, uh, stifle, idiot. He didn't say that to her. I love that Jesus says, oh, Martha, Martha. Mary has chosen the better thing than you have. Now I'm sure Martha's like, well, somebody's got to cook and clean. Because those of you that are doers, that's kind of what you're thinking, right? Somebody's got to cook, so who's going to cook? Where's the meal going to come from? Well, you're probably a doer. And, and that's a gift and a talent, but you need to understand what Jesus is saying. If that's your personality, it's better to be sitting at the feet of Jesus worshiping than doing even good things. Was it good that she wanted to be hospitable to Jesus and make her home homey and, and food and clean uh, for Jesus and, as a guest? Was that a good thing? Well, that's a good thing. But Mary chose the better thing. I remember when we were, had a cat out here uh, leveling off this gravel area, one of these gravel areas where we've we extended our parking lot and to put in some more gravel. One guy on social media said, you know, AC Creek, you guys are just into making a bigger church and look at, you're making more parking lots and you don't care about the homeless. And that was kind of, you know, social media, that's kind of the way they roll on social media. It's a real valuable use of your time. Um, <laughs> but, um, but anyway, uh, one of the comments we put back there was just, you know, um, you know uh, John chapter 12, which is the, the other version of the same story. Um, there, there's people that think that you should, you, know, you should be doing more, helping the homeless and the poor, which we do. See, that was a false dilemma, this guy saying that atheists we don't care about. We, we help the poor all the time. Um, as a church, we reach out and help homeless people all the time. Uh, we minister and serve. We have missionaries all over the world. Like we can, I could show you all the stuff. We just don't tout all the things this church is doing because that would be prideful and weird. Um, but we actually do like to do that stuff. But here's, here's the thing. Um, that person that messaged us that, that saying, you're spending money on a parking lot when you don't care about the homeless. Well, first of all, we do care about the homeless. But which is the better to um, help the homeless or to ha make it so people can drive their cars in, come into a sanctuary and sit at the feet of Jesus and worship him. That's what we're all doing here. Um, we're not here to see a pastor or a church. We're here to, to know Jesus, to study the word that he's given to us. And, and I would just say, biblically, uh, you're making a Martha argument when you say that. And, and I think it's important because they're, they're, we're gonna see more of that in, in, in these stories and we, we gotta really be cautious. I'll give you a word of caution at the end about that. But I'd like to call this, this Luke 10 account, if we're gonna put it into three things today, um, this is the first time we see her at Jesus' feet and we're gonna call this, she found her blessing at his feet. How was Mary blessed? Martha was stressed. Mary was blessed. Martha was full of anxiety and, and even bitterness toward Mary, 
But Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what did Jesus say? In verse um, 42, Jesus said, Mary has chosen, this thing is needful. Mary has chosen the good part. Um, she's gonna, she, this is good that she's here and it will not ever be taken away from her. There was an eternal value in what she was doing, sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing him teach the word. You know, there's probably some of your family members that think you guys are wasting your time right now because you're here at church on a Sunday morning. What a waste of time. You could be at home barbecuing or watching the games or you know, doing stuff. What a waste of time. And then some of your family members are thinking some of you are insane because not only will you come on Sunday morning, but some of you are gonna come tonight, Sunday night worship at 6 p.m. Why would you go to church two times in one day? You're a fanatic, a weirdo. But you know, Sunday nights, by the way, if there was ever a service that is <coughs> the goal, is to sit at the feet of Jesus, it's Sunday night. It's what we like to refer to as the vertical service. Like right here, you and I are talking about the word and we're talking about Jesus and we've worshiped and stuff for sure, it's been great. But Sunday night, there's no it's not teaching as much as it's saying, let's just gather around and look upward. And we're gonna worship Jesus with song, we're gonna worship Jesus with prayer, we're gonna remember Jesus at the table of communion and it's just sitting at Jesus's feet. That's really what Sunday night's all about. But some, some of your family members say, oh, but you're, you're wacko to come to church twice. Or some of you are not only wacko, but you're completely insane because you go Sunday, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And then the Looney Tunes come out on Friday for the prophecy update. Those are the insane people. Told, like, like people think you're crazy. Just like Mary thought, what a waste, of, or Martha thought, what a waste of time. But did you see in our first story, the disciples said, what a waste when she worshiped him with the ointment. Like this is, this is the attitude that some people have. But who was the blessed one? Mary was not blessed. I would argue she was spinning her wheels, not really getting much accomplished that would last for eternity while Mary was the one who found her blessing at the feet of Jesus. Great lesson for us to remember to look for Jesus um, at his, be at his feet. This is a really important thing. By the way, um, I think that sometimes we uh, have convinced ourselves, even in the American church, that the busier we are, the more right we are. Like, wow, look at all the stuff they're doing. Um, do you remember when you read the seven churches there of Asia Minor and, and Jesus speaks to John in the book of Revelation? Um, one of the things you'll notice when you know, Jesus is um, correcting the churches that are off course, in several of the churches, do you remember what he says? I know your works. Um, like, like the very first church, Ephesus. I know all the good works you're doing and how you've tried them doctrinally who say they're of the faith but really are not. I know all your works, but I have this against you, Jesus said. Well, how could you be against the church that has a wonderful bunch of works? Well, Jesus had this against them that they had what? Anybody? They left their first love. The church at Ephesus, they left their first love. They, they didn't love Jesus you might imply, infer, they weren't worshiping and sitting at the feet of Jesus, but they sure were busy doing their good works. And Jesus said, I know all your good works, whatever. But you've left your first love. And, and if you go through the other churches, you realize a lot of them, even the wacko ones had good works going on. So one of the things we have to do as a church corporal is be careful not to be all about busy, 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 doing, doing, doing. But we can't forget the, the main thing. The main thing is Jesus. And we need to be sitting at his feet, worshiping, and even when people criticize that. It reminds me of an Old Testament story. Um, do you guys remember what happened at Rephidim? 
There in Exodus chapter 17, it's a great story. It Rephidim, the Amalekites. Now, this is Moses and the children of Israel and Joshua. They're all, they're kind of winding down their tour of their 40 years of wilderness wandering. They haven't crossed into the uh, promised land yet, but they are starting to bump into Canaanites, which are gonna be their enemies when they get into the promised land. Remember there's the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hivites, the Amalekites, the flashlights, all those different groups of people that they would bump into eventually. Um, and, but the first ones they bump into uh, here are the Amalekites in, at Rephidim. And the Amalekites are arrayed in all their weaponry with their massive army. And the children of Israel are a little freaked out and Moses said, Joshua, General Joshua, that's who Joshua was. He was the commanding officer of the army. Moses said, Joshua, you get your army, your best team together, and you're gonna fight the Amalekites. I'm gonna go up on the mountain and I'm gonna stand before the Lord with my rod in hand and I shall be up there while you're fighting the battle. Now, this cracks me up because have you ever noticed the way we picture ourselves doing things and then the way they really look? Um, there, there's memes out there that are sometimes kind of funny. Here's what you think you look like, but here's how you really look like. Um, well, that happens to Moses. Um, Moses is getting older uh, now, um, and, and he's, he makes a statement, I will stand on the mount with my rod in hand, probably thinking back to his glory days at the Red Sea between Pi-Hiroth and Migdal when he sticks his rod out over the sea, and he says, you know, stand still and see, and then, the, you know, maybe Moses is like, I'm gonna have another one of those moments. But what actually happened? Well, Joshua goes to battle against the Malachites. Moses goes up on the mountain just like he thought, but he stands up and he's like, whew, I'm pooped from hiking. <laughs> uh, maybe he's getting a little old. And, 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 he, and he lifts up his hands, but he's like, oh, I'm kind of tired too. And so you, you older people know how this is. There's two young guys there, Aaron and her. Well, Aaron's not younger, but Aaron and her, they get this rock and say, Moses, come have a seat. Here's a, here's a rock for you to sit on okay, and he sits down and, and he's lifting his hands. Oh, my arms are tired. Um, how, does it, how does this happen? Um, you know, if you're older, you know what's going on here. Moses needs a rock to sit on and somebody to help his arms stay up. A little bit of, uh, you know, tendonitis or something or whatever. It's like it's, um, but but how, does, how do they know that lifting your hands? This is where the funny part of the story to me, because the Bible says that Moses, as long as his hands were up, Joshua was winning the battle in the valley. But then when he put his hands down to rest, then Joshua would start losing. Now, how did they figure this out? I mean, I can just see it in my mind's eye. There's Moses going, okay, I, I will worship and pray. Oh, I'm a little tired, hold on. Oh, wow, what's going on now? Oh, he's losing. Oh boy, winning, losing, winning, losing. Wow. So finally they say, no, we gotta keep his arms up. So, so they come, Aaron and her come and hold his arms up. It's a great, beautiful picture of standing with one another in intercession and prayer. And it's a beautiful story. I love the story. Um, but, but there's something that we should learn, see, because um, remember those of you that are Marthas? Maybe some of you guys don't like being called a Martha. Well, let me call you then a Joshua. Is that better? Some of the guys are like, yeah, I'm Joshua which I like Joshua, I have to say. He's a, he's a warrior, he's a cool guy, but he's fighting the battle. But notice, like if you, if you superimpose yourself into the story, and let's say you're down there fighting with Joshua, do you ever wonder what they were thinking when that whole story was going on? Because Joshua and his guys are like, hey, hey, we're winning, we're winning. Wait, we're losing, we're losing. We're winning, losing, winning, losing. Because we know what was going up on the hill. Moses was figuring it out. Um, and it was really Joshua at the mercy of Moses' work on the, on the mountain. You see, you see, you know, where was that battle? By the way, the, the cool end of the story is the children of Israel crushed. I think it's the King James that says, and Joshua discomfited the Amalekites. 
uh, discomfited. I like that word, but it means they crushed them, crushed the Amalekites. Great victory that day. Where was the battle won? Was it in the valley where the battle was happening or was it up on the mountain where the intercession was happening? Where was, and, and, and we know the answer because every time Moses would put his hands down, the battle would go hor- horribly. It wasn't all about Joshua in the valley. You see, some of us, you and me, are wired to be, we like to be in the valley of interaction where the real stuff's going on, real swords being drawn, you know, real tactics being applied. Um, and we, we, we sort of move in that, in that way. But um, when you get older and live some life, you start realizing, oh man, the battle belongs to the Lord. Um, my work and my efforts, they're not enough. And you can think you're a winner and you can think and be optimistic till you're blue in the face. But ultimately it comes down to the Lord and, it, and it's not won on the valley of interaction. The battle's won on the mountain of intercession. And, and, and that's the thing that's going on with Mary and Martha. It's just that's kind of the Old Testament man version of the same thing. Um, that is that, you know, sometimes we like to just be more logistical, practical, forget the spiritual. And, and so some of us, we don't spend time at Jesus' feet. We're not worshiping, we're not praying, but we're doing and we, think, and we keep spinning our wheels like the person at the stop sign out in the snow. A lot of uh, interaction between the snow and the, and the tires, but no movement. You spiritually you need to stop spinning your wheels and choose the better. There's times where you gotta choose the better, like uh, Mar- uh, Mary chooses over Martha. And that's why we see uh, she finds blessing at the feet of Jesus. And it's so blessed that she'll live the rest of her life being blessed because of that. Don't you love that? The second time we see Mary at the feet of Jesus comes in John chapter 11. Would you turn there? John chapter 11. The gospel of John um, chapter 11 is um, where Jesus is off about two miles, just less than two miles away from Bethany, the house where Mary and Martha live. And, and uh, we also saw Simon the leper lives there too in our text in Matthew, a different, play, different house, but same neighborhood. Um, and, uh, and, and in our story here, Jesus is about a little, little under two miles away from Bethany. And suddenly people come running up and say, Jesus, your buddy, your best friend, Lazarus, man, the one you love, he's, he's dying and he's really sick. And Jesus says to them, um, he's not dying. Um, this sickness is not unto death, but the Lord is gonna reveal his glory in this situation. And the people, okay, and they walk away. But, um, you know, Jesus still just hung out where he was for like two days, just hung out, didn't do anything to go visit his friend Lazarus. Um, and, and then the story kind of picks up and Lazarus dies and Mary and Martha are there with their dead brother in the house. And so they have to sit there and wait. And, and it would be still days. Um, in fact, by the time they got Lazarus all embalmed and wrapped up as a mummy and stuck in a tomb with a stone rolled over, that's about when Jesus shows up. Um, and, and so what do we see? Well, Jesus is on his way to visit Mary, Mar- Martha, and Lazarus, who's now already dead in the tomb. And Martha is the first one. She meets him along the way. And we pick that up in chapter 11, verse 21. It says, then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. 
And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth me will never die. Believest thou this? In other words, King James is saying, you know, do you believe this? In fact, the King James, we've got these verses sort of memorized. And so we hear that verse, I am the resurrection and the life. And we go, oh, that's a glorious verse. But, uh, you know, you got to understand really what Jesus is saying in more of our, if you were to put it more in our term of our day, he, 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 he says, you know, your, your brother's going to rise again. And, and then she sort of dismisses that by saying, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, he's going to rise in, in the resurrection as we all will one day. We're going to be resurrected to eternal. Like Martha's got some doctrine. She knows about the resurrection ultimately, but she's not giving it to Jesus that he's about to do a miracle. Um, she says, yeah, yeah, I know, I know he'll raise up in the resurrection. You know, kind of that's what, that's what you do, right? And then Jesus says this famous verse, but if we put it more in modern vernacular, Jesus saying, Martha, hello, I'm the embodiment of resurrection. I have the power of life and death within me. I am life and death. I am life. And if you believe in me, you're never gonna die. Like Jesus is saying, Martha, you're not understanding what I'm about to do. I'm about to use the power of her life and death that I have. Um, and Lazarus is gonna rise again. But she's like, oh yeah, yeah. Um, and then he says, don't you believe this? Oh, I believe you're the Christ, the Messiah, which is good. Like at least she's declaring her faith that Jesus is the Christos. But she never really gives it to him like, okay, let's go rise up Lazarus from the dead. Let's go. She doesn't do that because I think she, she's not really sure what Jesus is doing. I think that's interesting. And then Jesus goes a little further along the way. And then finally, Mary bumps into it. So Martha's already had her interaction with Jesus, with Lazarus being dead. Now we have Mary and we pick that up in verse 32. It says, and then when Mary was come where Jesus was, she saw him and fell down at his feet saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now this sort of cracks me up because this tells us about Mary and Martha, two sisters who love Jesus, but I kind of think that they're trying to be nice to Jesus because they're respectful, but at the same time, they're basically saying, Lord, um, where were you? Our brother died. If you'd only been here, he wouldn't be dead. And, and, and we know they'd been talking, and, and I think the reason, I can just picture Mary and Martha sitting on the porch as Lazarus is sitting in the tomb going, Boy, Martha, if Jesus only had been here, man. Yeah, Mary, you're right. If Jesus only had been here, he wouldn't have died. Yeah, he wouldn't have died. Uh, I picture like, you know, Andy Williams and Don Knotts sitting on the porch in Mayberry. Just, yeah, Jesus would have been here. Our brother wouldn't have died, yeah. They were saying, how do I know that? They said the same exact thing word for word when Jesus came. Um, if you look at verse 21, Martha said, if thou hast, not, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Same thing in verse 32, Mary says, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Word for word, same approach. Um, Brett, what's the point there? Well, it's, it's funny because that's, that's what happens when we talk to each other. Um, when I was pastor of a smaller church, I saw this more up close because I, could, I always knew who was talking to who. Um, because people come up, hey, Pastor Brett, you know, I just wanted to say this, and they'd say something. And then the next week, somebody else, hey, Pastor Brett, I just wanted to say this. And, and they'd say it word for word, the way the person said, I, I, oh, you guys have been having coffee together, talking about this topic. Like you could see that stuff. Well, that's what's going on here. Mary and Martha are saying the exact same thing. Lord, if you'd only been here, our brother would not have died. 
But sometimes that can be dangerous because you can sort of group numb yourself into thinking you're right about something. Um, but Mary and Martha, they don't understand what Jesus is actually, his objectives really are. However, even though they say the same exact thing word for word, question, quiz time, what's the biggest difference of Martha's approach versus Mary's approach? As they see Jesus, we see something, there's one thing different, what is it? She, Mary, falls at his feet. Did you see that? Verse 32, it says, when she saw him, she fell down at his feet. Remember, we always see Mary at the feet of Jesus in every story. Martha walks up face to face. Uh, mispractical, mislogistical. Jesus, if, uh, my brother, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Um, but Mary comes up and falls down at his feet. There's an emotion, there's a, uh, there's a heaviness um, she's that kind of person. I've noticed the real worshipers, the people that sit at Jesus' feet, um, a lot of the Martha's are like, come on, would you stop being so emotional? What a drama queen. Um, but actually, again, I'm gonna have to say, Mary's doing the right thing. She falls down at Jesus' mercy at his feet, and she says, oh Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. And, um, and so what happens? Well, in a, in a way, you can almost see that she's falling down at his mercy, um, taking the burden of her heart that her brother has, has died, and she realizes that the best thing she can do is to fall down at his feet. That's why I'm gonna call the second interaction of Jesus and Mary, her being at, her feet, at the feet of Jesus, is we're gonna say this is where she cast her burden at Jesus' feet. Always a wise, always a good move. When you're bummed, when things aren't going well, when you're wounded or, or hurt deeply, um, to fall at the feet of Jesus, Mary chooses the right thing. She casts her burden um, at his feet. You know, it's interesting, um, uh, this idea of being at the feet of Jesus as Mary, there was an artist who tried to capture that in sort of a unique way. Um, and this art, artist was a, a, a Belgian, or pardon me, a Danish sculptor uh, named Thorsvalden. Um, and he was born in the late 1700s. Um, but he made a, 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 you know, a, a granite statue sculpture of, the, of Christ, um, which is kind of interesting because when he made it, the critics said, you know, you can't really see Jesus' face. If you were to stand like right up with the statue, Jesus was looking down slightly and he, his forehead was the major feature. And, uh, and so they kind of criticized that. Um, but they, uh, the, the, the artist, Thorsvald, in fact, let me show you, this is the artist, this is a, a painting of the artist, and also this is his uh, granite uh, uh, statue that he'd carved. And when you'd stand up at height, you'd, you'd see Jesus just looking down. But he put a little placard down at the base of the uh, artwork that said, if you wanna see the face of Jesus, you must sit at his feet. And so part of his thing was he'd have people walk up and then sit right there at the feet of Jesus. And then you did get this perfect kind of view of his face that had much greater detail than you even could see initially. And I like what that artist was trying to do. Now, I've got to say, this one of the sad things about this sculpture is um, the Mormons liked it so much, they uh, made a copy of it and put it in front of their uh, temple in Utah. 
so some people think this is a Mormon Jesus, uh, but this guy that made this was not a Mormon. He was before Joseph Smith and all that stuff. Um, but, uh, d- but I do think it's interesting. This guy was onto something. This artist was onto something to say, if you really wanna see the face of Jesus, you gotta sit at his feet. And I think he gets this in some ways from Mary. She's the one who sat at the feet of Jesus. And so, so that's what we, we realized. In point number two, she cast her burden at his feet. Um, and, um, and, and then what happened after she cast his burden? Well, the rest of the story is awesome. Jesus goes and he says, take me to the, where you, they've laid him. And uh, they take him and, and Jesus, it says there, he started to groan, even just you know making groan, like groaning sounds like, oh. Why was he doing that? And then it says he wept. Jesus wept. Why did he weep? You ever wondered why Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus? Well, Brad, his, his buddy died. Yeah, but he knew he was gonna raise him up from the dead. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, everybody was so sad. I, maybe that's why Jesus was weeping. He, maybe he was weeping with those that weep and feeling sad for the people that were grieving so hard. Maybe he felt really sad for Mary herself and he was weeping with her. Uh, maybe Jesus wept because he knew he was bringing Lazarus back. What do you mean? Well, picture being Lazarus. You, you, you're sick and you're feeling horrible and all of a sudden you die and now you've made it, man. You've arrived. You're in paradise. And you're like, this is awesome. And then Gabriel comes over, uh, Lazarus over here. Uh, just, I don't know how to tell you this. Uh, why don't you have a seat? We're sending you back. Maybe that's why Jesus was weeping. Like that, that's, that's really a sad thing. Poor Lazarus had to go back. I don't know exactly why Jesus is weeping, but he, I love the compassionate heart of our savior. But then they take him to the tomb and then he says, roll away the stone. And Miss Practical, Martha says, but Lord, he's been here for four days. He stinketh. That's what it says in the King Jimmy right here. Um, little Miss Practical. Um, but Jesus says, just roll away the stone. And then this most powerful moment where Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. I often wonder what would have happened if Jesus didn't say Lazarus. What if he just said, come forth? Would like it suddenly be a thriller moment? Thriller! Like all the tombs coming and all the people. He said, Lazarus, the second tomb to the right, you come forth. And then funnier still, how did Lazarus come out? I believe he was bouncing. Boing, 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 boing. You say, Brad, uh, you're reading into the Bible. Well, check out what Jesus says. Um, Lazarus come forth and he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was covered with a napkin. And then Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Like this is a hilarious story if you ask me. Lazarus all, they're like, he's alive. Why don't you take off his, you know, mummy stuff. What a great story. It gets even greater in some ways when you go into chapter 12. Now chapter 12, this is a little context. If you look chapter 12 verses one uh, through eight is the same story we read in Matthew 26 with even some more detail. We'll talk about that in a second. And we'll get to John chapter 12 just in a few weeks when we get to the gospel of John. Um, But but, uh, look at verse nine. Let's look at verse nine there for a second of chapter 12. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, Jesus was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. 
Um, I love this because people wanted to see Jesus, but it's almost like on equal level, people are like, yeah, but I wanna see Lazarus because Jesus raised this, this guy was once dead. We wanna see Lazarus. And I like that because some people won't look at Jesus, but you know what? They might look at you whom Jesus has raised from death to life. Um, some of you AC Creekers have some great stories. People that were walking in sin and headed for destruction and, and the Lord saved your soul and he made you whole and you're walking with Jesus and you're a testimony, a living testimony of what Christ can do. And, and some people came from all around just to see Lazarus whom Jesus has raised. I wonder how many of you are more Lazaruses in the story where you're just a testimony of what Jesus can do. Well, be that as it may, uh, we have Jesus um, they're healing Lazarus, but where did she cast her burden? Right at the feet of Jesus. What a great uh, example. So number one, she found her, her blessing at his feet, Luke chapter 10. She cast her burden at his feet, John chapter 11. But thirdly, she gave her best. She gave her best at his feet in Matthew 26. Let's go back to Matthew 26 and see it, uh, back to our original story. And how did she give her best? She gave her best in that she uh, broke this costly ointment. The average uh, year's salary is, is referred to this in, in John chapter 12. It was very costly ointment. The average salary here in Portland is six, uh, $64,000 uh, a year. Um, and as it turns out, um, that's how much this is worth, like in our days. Time. Can you imagine seeing somebody take a bottle of perfume that's cost $64,000 and just pouring it on someone's head? But it's interesting because as it turns out, um, the disciples are kind of freaked out. What? What a waste. What a waste. Mark that. But I might say before we get into the wasteful uh, attitude there, notice that she gave her best. She, she gave, what, was, what was that of hers? Well, as it turns out, um, you know, Mary was a single woman. And what would a woman like her be doing with a box of this costly ointment? Well, it was, it was set aside for her dowry. It was a part of her marriage plan. It was what a woman in those days would have uh, for the purpose of marriage. Uh, and it would bring wealth, you know, to her, to her future husband or, or father-in-law, often it would be the case. Um, and so it was for her to get married and have all that she needed to be a, a marriable Girl, and she gives that to Jesus. Talk about a lesson for singles, you know. Um, what a great thing to give your life for the purpose of Christ. Paul the apostle actually echoed this when he said, I would that you all be single like me. And he said, those of you that are married will have trouble. And all the married people were like, amen. <laughs> I always talk about the two biggest complaining groups in the church. Um, the second most complaining group uh, in the church are the single people. Brett, you need to talk to us singles more. You need to help us and, and we're, we need special groups and special stuff. We're single people. And that's the second most complaining group in the church. The, the, the biggest complaining group is the married people. <laughs> uh, Brett, we're married. We need more help than, than anybody else. And uh, we're going through trouble. You see, the point is um, people just have trouble. Uh, that's the point. And, uh, and people say, yeah, Brett, you need more programs. Where's your singles ministry? Uh, we, our singles ministry is at the 10 o'clock Sunday morning hour. <laughs> That's our singles ministry. Um, we have another uh, opportunity for singles on Wednesday nights. Wednesday night at seven. Um, and also a really good time for single uh, gathering. Our singles group meets also at Sunday night at 6, 6 p.m. 
Brad, you're being weird. No, I, uh, by the way, I, I really think that sometimes when we separate all the groups out, we're only making ourselves poorer. Um, you know, there's this weird thing that our culture says, single people need to hang out with single people and married people need to hang out with married people. But I, I, I have the opinion, and as a guy who kind of watches people and our church behaviors and stuff, did you know that um, married people actually like having single people around? If you're a single person, I'm, I'm the third wheel, I don't like being around married people. Most of the married people I know are like really happy to have single people around. It's, it's actually cool. And I've also talked to some of our single people and like, I wish, I wish we could be around married people more. Like, like um, if there was taking away some of the weird cultural things about why aren't you, why are you still single or some of the things married people say that it's kind of stupid sometimes. Um, if we take some of that away, um, what, what we actually are is the body of Jesus Christ, single or married, we're all a big family. And I think we create these artificial walls that really don't need to be there. And as it turns out, this is like another lesson in a, a woman who says, um, more important than my dowry is to sit at the feet of Jesus. She's a woman who gets it. A single woman who sees the value uh, in Jesus being her bridegroom. Uh, boy, there's, a, there's all kinds of lessons there. But, um, but it is something that costs her. I want you to see that. To her, this was a sacrifice. Um, praise and worship sitting at the feet of Jesus is a sacrifice. In fact, Hebrews 13 calls it that. Hebrews 13, 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Worship is a form of sacrifice. And sometimes I worry that we, we, we lose the idea of sacrifice. We wanna worship as long as it's comfortable or convenient or doesn't cost us anything. In fact, I worry that the church in America, we become connoisseurs of worship. As long as the worship band sounds wonderful, I'll go to that church. Or as long as the teaching, we become connoisseurs of teaching or connoisseurs of worship. Um, not just you know, gathering to sit at the feet of Jesus. I hope you understand that, you know, if somebody stumbled on the stage here at Ace Creek with an out-of-tune guitar and barely able to hold a pitch or a tone in their vocal, but singing songs and leading us, I hope you're the mature believer that says, I'm gonna worship Jesus with a nice praise band with guitars that are actually tuned, or I'm gonna worship Jesus if somebody's just trying to croak out a song, I'm gonna still worship Jesus. Don't be a weirdo connoisseur of worship and stuff like that. that we don't see that in the Bible at all. Uh, we see people that make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Um, somewhere I think we've got a little bit off, uh, off course on this. And, and instead of falling down at the feet of Jesus, we gotta sit and go, okay, hopefully it sounds nice this morning. Um, but instead, engaging and falling down at the feet of Jesus. Um, what was Mary doing in these? She was worshiping. She was listening to the word. Um, we saw that in, in Luke. Um, and, she, and then she also pours out the sacrifice of praise, if you would. Very costly. Now, um, uh, you know, I already mentioned that she was, she was doing this uh, to anoint him for the purpose of his death. She's way ahead of the disciples spiritually. But the question is why? I think she, she had understanding because she was willing to sit at the feet of Jesus. I think there's a lot of Christians that go around kind of clueless about what's, what the Lord's doing in their lives or in the church because they're so busy they haven't taken time to actually sit at the feet of Jesus to know what's really going on. Mary's the only one in the room that knew what she was doing. She was anointing him for the burial that was gonna happen shortly thereafter in just a few short days. She was gonna be doing this. And I've seen this where 
You know, we as churches can get off course. We're busy doing, but we're not sitting at the feet of Jesus. God forbid. Um, I, I pray that we be a, a, a church that the priority is to, to be sitting at his feet, worshiping and taking in the word, just like Mary. But as we close, um, there's a word of caution I'd like to give. You may, might say, Pastor Brett, kind of a mushy-gushy, sitting at the feet of Jesus and not do, do, do and, and, uh, and stuff like that. And, uh, but Brett, are you suggesting that we don't serve and help and engage? Well, I'm not suggesting that. Uh, you know, Athey Greek has a ton of people doing the work. We have over, uh, over 2,000 people now that are part of our volunteer team that make the church go. Uh, people that are parking cars and driving golf carts, people out to their cars, and we got people doing camera work and, and tech stuff and children's ministry workers and coffee people. And, and like we've got uh, so many amazing uh, people doing all the work. But one of the things we have to be really careful of is not to be so busy. And, and this is something we, we try to encourage our volunteers in, our, in this ministry is make sure that your first job, your priority is to sit at the feet of Jesus. Don't ever make the mistake of making that the main thing, being a Martha. And so if you're a volunteer at Eighth Degree, that's one of the things we ask, we try, we, we talk to our leads and our groups, make sure people aren't neglecting the sitting at the Jesus's feet part, because that'll ruin a church real fast. You can start losing your way. Um, and I don't want you to blow this off. In fact, what can happen is to have a weird attitude. It can happen. Uh, let, let's just say one of you are a volunteer and you're there out in the cold, you know, directing traffic and people are being mean and parking their cars in wrong ways and stuff and ignoring your direction. And, and you're just like, oh, these athe creakers, watch right, a wacko, non-believing, sinful people that are headed straight for Gehenna. Um, maybe you're getting bitter out there. Well, that's where you gotta kind of say, you know, maybe I've been out here a little too long. Uh, I would say maybe it's time to come back in from the cold and just sit at the feet of Jesus. And remember, we're all sinners. You know, there's a thing that can happen is you start looking at everybody else and they should be out here helping. Are they? And we start getting a chip on our shoulder and stuff like that. And, and in a way, you, you don't wanna be like the, the guys in this story. Um, back to Matthew 26, what did the disciples say? Verse eight, but when the disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, to what purpose is this waste? What a waste of time. Now, when you read the John 12 account, we know which disciple is the ringleader in this. His name actually means praise. Mr. Praise. Who was the disciple whose name meant praise? Anybody? Judas Iscariot. Uh, his name Judas comes from the name Judah, which means praise. So here's Mr. Praise, and he's the one ringleading this Oh, brother. In fact, in John's gospel, it says that Judas was thinking, he's thinking, oh man, we could have eBayed this ointment, got like $64,000. And we could have, and he, and he was saying, we could have sold it and given it to the poor. But Jesus knew that he was a thief and he was the one that carried the bag. He was the treasurer of the disciples and he didn't care about the poor. He only cared about the money. And Judas says, what a waste. That's, that's the one who's saying this is a waste. And then Jesus in John 12 says, leave her alone. That's what he says. Now, interesting, I told you the name Judas means praise, but Judas was given another name in the Bible. Does anybody remember what it was? Son of perdition. You say, what is son of perdition? Well, it might just be the worst name you could ever call somebody. Um, 
And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, if you look up the word perdition in the Greek language, when Judas was called the son of perdition, um, the word perdition actually, if you look in the Greek dictionary, it says waste. It's funny, Mr. Praise became the Mr. Waste. And he was the one who wasted his life. How did his life end? Hanging himself, falling from the tree with his guts spilling out all over the ground. Like it's a horrific story, the way Judas ends his life. And what a waste he really was. And yet he's the one calling this woman who's sitting at the feet of Jesus a waste. What's your point, Brett? Be ever so careful, Christian, if you're one who cynically comes and sits at church, oh, look at that lady up there worship. She's doing the whole window washing thing again as she prays in the Lord. What a waste of a person as she's there lifting her hands as you're there going, hmm. What a waste of time, this songs. And we actually have had people who come to church only after the music's over because they think it's a waste of time. And you're in the same category as the son of perdition. Do you really want to be in the same camp as Judas Iscariot? Because he's the one who was ringleader of the criticism of worship. I think we should be really careful about that. Um, you know, I think the moral to this story is uh, we need to recognize there's a time for work, of course, but there's also time to worship. And the person who chooses to sit at the feet of Jesus to worship, that's the place Jesus, this is the right place. This is the priority, to be at my feet. Um, there's a time to be active for the Lord, yes, but there's also time to sit at his feet. And, and you know, you might have to ask yourself about your own personal life. Have you become enamored by the tasks uh, that you've been so buried in in your life, but so long have you been in your tasks that you've forgotten to make time to sit at the feet of Jesus? Uh, because if you wanna see the face of Jesus, you must sit at his feet. That's what we should all learn from this story. May the Lord give us ears to hear and hearts softened and, and that maybe even next Sunday or tonight when we come to worship, um, that we come with that attitude to be at the feet of Jesus and not just to mess around, but to do it for real with a sincere heart. May the Lord give us ears to hear. Lord, I pray uh, that we would learn from this great woman of the New Testament, Mary of Bethany, who is always at your feet. Lord, I pray that you'd show us, especially those of us that aren't as quick to worship or be at your feet. Um, help soften us, Lord, even the hardest of us, that we would be worshipers, that we would be still and know that you're God, to take time away and carve out time just to seek you, Lord. You tell us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all this other stuff, it's gonna be added to us. And Lord, so many are walking aimlessly, busy, spinning their wheels, Lord. I pray that those that are spinning their wheels right now would sense that they're not going anywhere and that they would get back to where it matters, um, to at your feet. So bless these, your people, Lord. Um, we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.